Eddie Mayer on LBC. With Motorway, where dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. Claire Barrett will be here after five. If you have a question for her about the cost of living, you can phone 0345 6060 973. It's Friday. It's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, I feel as though I should start with a disclaimer. Everything you hear in the next 15 minutes has actually happened. None of it is an April Fool's joke. No, really, I promise, not even the bit about the orgies. But we'll get to those later, because first, we've got to spin back in time to last Saturday in Warsaw. Don't even think about moving on one single inch of NATO territory. We have a sacred obligation under Article 5 to defend each and every inch of NATO territory. Everything was going so well. We'd seen pictures of the president munching pizza with the troops, hoisting Ukrainian refugees aloft. His supporters back in Washington, even as that speech was still being made, were claiming on social media that it was the greatest presidential oration since John F. Kennedy's Ich bin ein Berliner speech in Germany at the height of the Cold War and Ronald Reagan's several years later telling Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down this wall. But then, at the final fence, the president blew it. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Nine words at the end there that caused consternation. President Biden seemingly declaring that the US wants to see regime change in Moscow, Vladimir Putin's ouster from power. White House officials in Poland, who had already been forced to correct a series of earlier presidential verbal gaffes in Europe, swung reflexively back into action. The president had barely left the stage before we were all being told he didn't mean it. The words weren't in the original speech. He busked them, and his riff did not mean to imply that after weeks of bending over backwards to avoid confronting Vladimir Putin, US policy was suddenly changing. But then, on Monday, more confusion, as the president walked back the White House walk back. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is, I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing and the actions of this man, just, just brutality of half the children in Ukraine. I had just come from being with those families. And, uh, and so, uh, but I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. He said he was simply expressing a personal viewpoint. If that sounds familiar, it should. Two weeks ago, as we noted right here, in another off-the-cuff remark, he said he had concluded that Vladimir Putin was a war criminal. That was also apparently a personal viewpoint, until around 10 days later, when, after a rushed investigation, the State Department synchronized. U.S. policy with the president's personal opinion. It does seem reasonable to wonder going forward how we will all know when President Biden is expressing his own opinion versus the viewpoint of the government that he leads. White House loyalists insist reporters are obsessing about the president's misstep and failing to report the Lincoln-esque nature of the rest of the Warsaw Address. But there were multiple own goals 
Brussels in Europe, not just one. In Brussels, the president had falsely claimed a Russian chemical strike on Ukraine would be met by a response in kind. Until top officials assured us there are no plans for America ever to use chemical weapons itself. He told US troops in Poland they would soon see Ukraine for themselves, except they won't because no US forces are being deployed there. And oddly, back at the White House, in an exchange with Pete Ducey of Fox News, the president denied any of those incidents had even occurred. None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. Mr. President? You, you, you interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We are talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's with the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. And when you said a chemical weapon use by Russia would trigger a response in kind? It will trigger a significant response. What does that mean? Her. I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? You've got to be silly. The world wants to know? The world wants to know a lot of things. I'm not telling them what the response would be. Then, then Russia knows the response. Except previously, he said the response would be in kind. French President Emmanuel Macron fumed on Sunday night that President Biden's loose use of language threatened to escalate the standoff with the Kremlin, not resolve it. And at home, Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi found himself unintentionally echoing a Kremlin talking point, that it's the Russian people who get to decide when Putin is all wrapped up not the U.S. president. But for at least one figure in the United States, Vladimir Putin still has some utility. Because of all weeks, this was the week when Donald Trump called for fresh help from the Kremlin in his bid to recapture control of the White House. Why did the mayor of Moscow's wife Give the Biden family three and a half million dollars. The former president, who enjoys a six-point lead over Joe Biden in polls anticipating a 2024 election rematch, speaking to right-leaning news outlet Just the News. As long as Putin now is not exactly a fan of our country, let him explain why did the mayor of Moscow's wife give the Bidens, both of them, Three and a half million dollars. That's a lot of money. She gave him three and a half million dollars. So now I would think Putin would know the answer to that. I think he should release it. I think we should know that answer. Now, to be clear, the president's son, Hunter, denies those allegations, although we should keep our eye on him because we now know that a laptop that was rather curiously abandoned in a Delaware computer repair shop back in April of 2019 was indeed owned by the president's son and did indeed contain more than 20,000 of his emails, some of them related to Hunter Biden's controversial business activities in Ukraine and China. But at the White House, they kept the focus this week on Donald Trump's fresh invitation to Vladimir Putin to interfere in U.S. electoral politics. President Biden's Director of Communications, Kate Bedingfield. What I would say about that is what kind of American, let alone an ex-president, thinks that this is the right time to enter into a scheme with Vladimir Putin and brag about his connections to Vladimir Putin. There is only one, and it's Donald Trump. She's wrong about that. There's more than one. She is underestimating the sympathy that several Republicans have publicly expressed towards Russia in its violent onslaught against Ukraine. But both America's political parties this week were not just going after one another. They were also tearing themselves apart. The only thing that's not accurate in that show is that you could never get a piece of legislation about 
uh, about education passed that quickly. Madison Cawthorn, you remember him. He's the young Republican congressman from North Carolina who we featured a couple of weeks ago calling Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky a thug. This week, he appeared on a right-wing webcast called the Warrior Poets Society and was asked whether all the drugs and the sex seen on the Netflix drama House of Cards are an accurate reflection of life in Washington. In an ad-libbed riff, yes, there was more than one of those this week, he claimed it is, especially within his own Republican Party. The sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes, you should come. They're like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. Uh, and then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, wow, this is, this is wild. Wild indeed. I'm definitely not getting out enough. All of this caused consternation, as it would among Republicans. Every time they turned up for a TV interview this week, suddenly they were being asked if they'd ever been to any of these parties, as former Congressman Will Hurd discovered on MSNBC. I don't know Madison Cawthorn. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I would probably say in, in the legal world, they would say he's not a, a credible witness. Um, you weren't attending my, co orgies with fellow look, members of Congress? My, in my six years in Congress, I never heard of such thing, was never had hints of, of such things. Um, but but again, I, it, this is, it, you know, obviously if it was, it'd be a bad thing. Well, at least we can all agree about that. The Republican leadership on Capitol Hill responded by giving Congressman Cawthorn a good talking to. He then said he'd invented the orgies and the cocaine parties like you would and immediately created a campaign video suggesting that it was the Democrats who were going after him rather than members of his own very clean-cut party. The entire left-wing establishment has targeted Madison Cawthorn as public enemy number one. Their smears and attacks are relentless and they've tried everything to take him down. But Madison Cawthorn cannot be stopped and that's why they are terrified of him. He is our champion for faith, family and freedom and will never stop putting America first. I'm Madison Cawthorn. I approve this message. Now, just a reminder, Joe Biden's approval ratings continue to tank. He's underwater on every major issue facing the country. There is every chance that Republicans, including Congressman Cawthorn, triumph in midterm elections this November and recapture control of both houses on Capitol Hill. This was the week when, on the same day, two venerable news outlets published articles with competing advice for President Biden. A pair of top Democrat strategists writing in the New York Times warned him that his party is facing catastrophe at the polls this November unless he abandons the left and pivots to the centre. But in rival publication New York Magazine, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York was warning that the Democrats are facing catastrophe this November unless he abandons the centre and pivots to the left. So, facing catastrophe this November, what's a president to do? Today I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day for the next six months, over 180 million barrels. 
for the strategic from the from the strategic petroleum reserve. The White House likes to talk about Vladimir Putin raising the price of petrol at America's pumps, but yesterday it was Joe Biden taking action reflective of the damage he fears those price rises are doing to his party's election prospects. This is a wartime bridge to increase oil supply until production ramps up later this year. And it is by far the largest release of our, net, of our national reserve in our history. It will provide historic amount of supply for a historic amount of time. A six-month bridge to the fall. The fall, you say, also known as Midterm Election Day. The president who came into office vowing to prioritise climate change now finds himself in the slightly uncomfortable position of urging US oil companies to get pumping as quickly as possible. He proposed yesterday a use-it-or-lose-it programme for those oil companies that have been granted leases to drill for oil in America that they haven't yet acted upon. Companies that are already producing from these wells won't be affected. But those sitting on unused leases and idle wells will either have to start producing or pay the price for their inaction. The sound of a man pivoting to the centre. The progressive left is steaming about his proposal to drill baby drill. They're also furious about the amount of defence expenditure the president is proposing in his 2023 budget. Of course, the Republicans say a mere $770 billion won't be enough to protect America against the very obvious threat it now faces. There was one bit of news this week that I couldn't quite believe, but like everything else, it was true. I just signed into law the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, making lynching a federal hate crime for the first time in American history. It is astounding, but it turns out that lynching, that hateful hallmark of America's civil rights struggle, dating all the way back to the era of slavery, was not deemed a hate crime under federal law. And not for lack of trying. For over a century, and on more than 200 occasions, the legislation had not made its way through Capitol Hill. One of its champions, Vice President Kamala Harris. Today we are gathered to do unfinished business, to acknowledge the horror in this part of our history, to state unequivocally that lynching is and has always been a hate crime. Lynching is not a relic of the past. Racial acts of terror still occur in our nation. And when they do, we must all have the courage to name them and hold the perpetrators to account. Amazingly, on Fox News, host Jesse Waters could not even give the administration a bit of credit and get behind the achievement. How is this our top priority right now? Nobody's been lynched in America in decades. Call it whatever you want to call it, a hate crime. Fine with me. Good. It's heinous. But is this the top concern for the American people? Nobody's been lynched in America in decades. Go tell that to the family of slain jogger Ahmad Aubrey, hunted down and shot by three racists in Georgia just two years ago. You can't make any of it up. And on this April the 1st in America, you don't need to. The hateful fools, Eddie, have all got their own primetime TV shows. Simon Marks's American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five.
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.